2013, Jason Taji co-founded Farm Mobile to take all of this farm data that was now being collected and somehow get it from dirt to database. He became an early pioneer in helping farmers to monetize that data. I thought there could be an opportunity for us to create a revenue stream for growers who are utilizing this field data collection and we would let them know exactly who was interested in buying the data and we would split the revenue with them if they chose to sell it. Over the years, Farm Mobile provided technology for farmers to organize their data and use it in a variety of beneficial ways. We made several million dollars worth of data sales, I'll call it, or, or data transactions, where the farmers got half of the revenue. And I only had two growers out of the, the two years that we did this ever say no. So it's one of these things where, where I knew there was a value there. Now, as part of Ag Growth International, who purchased Farm Mobile in 2021, Jason sees some emerging trends that are going to make Farm Mobile's work to organize and monetize data even more essential for farmers. I think basically what we started out at Farm Mobile as, you know, being able to quote unquote monetize data, it's really called a carbon credit today. The value of farm data on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Well, hello, fellow ag nerd. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. Uh, my name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to sit down with the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. Uh, today's episode really is a fascinating look into the value of farm data. Jason Taji has been thinking about farm data in some capacity really for decades now. And you're going to hear about the early days of him calling around and sort of trading data over the phone or brokering it, I should say, between a farmer and an end user to now how that concepts developed into what we might call carbon credits or even what we might call NFTs. He'll also talk about how Ag Growth International or AGI is leveraging Farm Mobile's platform now to connect data from all sorts of equipment from their brands, including things like grain bins and grain dryers to reach unprecedented levels of interoperable farm data for their farmer or agribusiness customers. Some really interesting topics that we'll cover on today's show. And make sure you stay to the end where he kind of casts his vision for where all this data stuff is headed. But before we dive into all that, I want to make sure I begin by thanking our sponsor for this quarter, which is Merck Animal Health Ventures. Merck Animal Health Ventures is a premier investor in animal ag tech. They invest in companies creating the next generation of animal identification and monitoring technology to advance animal health, as well as new business models to create value from animal data. Merck Animal Health Ventures partners with early stage technology companies to successfully scale solutions for their customers, which include livestock producers, veterinarians, and pet owners. For more information, make sure you go check out the Merck Animal Health Ventures website. We always include it at the very top of our show notes of each of these episodes. And if you're an entrepreneur in any animal health related type industry, you really want to make sure you get in touch with them. Thank you so much to Merck Animal Health Ventures for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. All right, now back to today's episode with Jason Taji. Jason is currently serving as Senior Vice President for AGI Digital. Uh, AGI Digital is the collection of technology assets that have been acquired by AGI. These include companies like IntelliFarms, 
which makes a bin manager product that he's actually going to refer to in the episode. Uh, Farm Mobile, of course, and CMC Hazard Monitoring. AGI, for those who don't already know, provides global equipment solutions for seed, fertilizer, grain, feed, and food processing systems. Uh, Jason came to AGI by way of acquisition of his company, Farm Mobile, last year. Jason started his career, though, actually the same way I did in trading commodities. Uh, he was with Pillsbury and Schooler. I was with DeBruce and Gavilon. Uh, but after seven years of that work, he was a co-founding employee of Farms.com. And then he started his own company called Farms Technology, which was an electronic marketplace with automated hedging capabilities for grain marketing and merchandising. He sold that company to DuPont Pioneer in 2012, and that's where I'm going to drop you into today's conversation with Jason Taji. I had a company before this that was acquired by DuPont Pioneer, which was in the commodity trading side of things. So, you know, really straight down the fairway for me. And that was a business where we were able to utilize technology to make the process of what a merchandiser does a lot more scalable. And so when I exited that, I had a non-compete in trading. And up until that time was the only thing I'd ever done. And for the first time in my life, I had a little extra money in my pocket and felt I was bulletproof and, and thought, you know what, there's another problem that exists out there. And that problem is we aren't very good at getting data from the machines into a database, right? We can collect these thumb drives, but that's not super scalable. And we can, you know, we've got these file transfer options, but nobody seems to think that they work very good. And in my mind, I'm always thinking the markets, the commodity markets are craving for better sources of data. And, you know, USDA is the gold standard, but I think we've seen just recently in the reports that there's very little incentive, specifically on the March 31st planning intentions report, for farmers to tell the truth. And I don't mean that that they're doing something wrong or they're not trustworthy people. But what I'm saying is, if your income is based on the report that you're going to put out of how many acres of corn and how many acres of beans you're going to put on there, right? And, and you're, it's planning intention, so it's a guess. So maybe normally I'm 50-50 and then we don't have a problem. But sometimes the economics, you know, skew you to say, okay, I'm going to plan actually more corn, or in this case, like this year, it looks like farmers in general are thinking, I'm going to plant more beans and less corn, which was surprising to me because the economics at $7 corn still seem to be pretty good for new crop, but it's got to be, you know, the fertilizer related and input related and all these other geopolitical things that we're seeing. But when you, when you look at those things, there are a lot of ways that the USDA has multiple agencies that are duplicating the efforts to collect a lot of the data, which could be really helpful for the industry as a whole, for the producer, for the buyer, the only ones that really get hurt in that environment are kind of the traders, right? We're all trying to, to figure out ways to reduce risk. And if we had better information flow that can be automated today, I thought there could be an opportunity for us to create a revenue stream for growers who are utilizing this field data collection. And we would let them know exactly who was interested in buying the data and we would split the revenue with them if they chose to sell it. So that was the whole inception of Farm Mobile. Can we turn field collected data? Can we standardize it like the Chicago Board of Trade standardized corn in, you know, what, 1848 or whatever? They had, to, they had a problem and we needed to figure out what a contract actually was. We needed to define specs for that contract so that, you know, we can trade. And so that's what the idea of Farm Mobile was, was can we collect a data set that is interoperable. It's really, we were trying to 
Today, we'd call it an NFT. That wasn't around in 2013, but that's what we would call it today, right? Can we take a digital asset and can we create some sort of value assigned to it and then manage the access and usage rights to it? And we were trying to follow what happened in the music industry, really, with the way that you know, you were able to license copies of music to these different streaming services, but also keep an eye on, you know, who's accessing the content. Right. And is the most valuable data there generally kind of the actual acres planted um, and harvest yields? Is that the data? Am I thinking about that right? Or what is the data that's most valuable that could be a revenue generator for a farmer? I think Every bit of data that you can geospatially collect and sort properly and make it easy to access has value because we are at the beginning of this. I mean, this is still the first inning. It's April right now, and the the Royals are going to have opening day next week. And it it is truly the beginning of the ball game. And so in 2014, we really built our first hardware and went out and plugged it in to see if it could work. And we basically gave it away to 100 farms. And I wanted to spread it out as far as I could. I wanted cotton growers in the south and I wanted, you know, people planting canola north. I just wanted to see, is it possible to normalize this data? And I think this is a lot of the challenges in agriculture, specifically from the technology side, is that we have so much variability in machines that are running in the fields, in the storage systems that we're storing the grain in, you know, in soil types. So there's there's just so much variability in agriculture, it makes it difficult to get the quick win and it makes it difficult to really scale up quickly because there's so much that's dependent upon the region that you're in and having to really do a lot of one-offs in the beginning to be able to collect that data set at scale. And what, what did you find out from setting those 100 out? I mean, obviously what you just said, it's, it is difficult probably to normalize because of the disparate machines that are being used, et cetera. Uh, but w- what else did you find? And kind of, I'm just fascinated by the whole farm mobile trajectory, even though it's still ongoing under the AGI umbrella, there's still an element of sort of like a beginning and an end here. So I'm, I'm curious, what did you find out at that point? So at that point, we found out that it's machines are varied. Okay. It is difficult to collect data of a whole bunch of machines. Most of the um, PGNs are the messages that are coming across that we plug into the diagnostic port. So a pretty common port that's used, and we're a listen-only device where we would listen to the messages, we would record them, we would send them to the cloud, and, and the cloud was a big part of what we were doing because we were able to then send a bunch of messages up there, decode them, and then turn it around and spit it back out. So the compute power was actually happening in the cloud. But then you have a new problem with cellular networks in rural America, okay? And so the problem we set out to solve was a lot of the file transfer devices that were in use at the time. So the early versions of some of these, you know, basically replicating a, a thumb drive, but trying to use a, a file transfer device in an unlock, whether it be in any pieces of the OEM equipment. So what would happen is you would finish a job and it would create a file locally on the onboard computer, on the terminal in the computer. And then you could hit a button that allowed it to send up that file. But these files were pretty large and the connectivity was poor. And when you're hopping towers and driving back to the shop, a lot of times, about 30% of the time in the research that we did on these first 100 that we were working with, about 30% of the time, that file would get corrupted. And so we didn't have the same protocols to be able to turn it back on and shut it off, kind of like the way we do in, in other networks. And so we said, there's a problem here of scaling this because we only saw more and more sensors being put on machines. 
So the file size was going to get larger. And we saw the file size getting larger exponentially quicker than we saw the development of the rural networks. Verizon is probably the best in most of the areas that we're at, but they're not walking through the, you know, the back 80 and putting their hand up. So we had to figure out a better way to do that. And so then we thought, well, what if we sent a little piece of information similar to the way Netflix streams data, right? We're streaming a little piece of the movie all the time instead of downloading the whole thing before you can watch it. Like the way at that time, Apple actually, if you bought a movie on iTunes, you would have to download the whole thing, you know, take up space on your computer and before you could start watching it. And so we use that concept to say, what if we were able to normalize data packets on the device in a one second increment and just fire those up every second? And then when we lost cell connectivity, which we knew we were going to do, how can we order those in a way that once we get back into cell connectivity, we can burst up the rest of the messages and then use the cloud to put them all back together in order to create this really effective map of geospatial data. And so storing that original, those original messages are something that's pretty unique to what we do. It hasn't been appreciated yet in the market, but as we start to see better, higher quality data to go into a lot of the applications that exist out there, we're going to see definite ROI improvements and you're going to see higher quality data start to pay for itself pretty quickly. And so we're really at the beginning of that right now, but that is part of when you asked how we got here, I think. At first it was, how can we figure out more accurately what the yield really is? And would traders pay some kind of a fee to get information on a daily basis about the yields that we were seeing, you know, as long as they were aggregated in a way that was non-identifiable, okay? And could we create a subscribable stream for that information where people might be able to pay for it? And, and again, the way that Farm Mobile was set up originally was people would come and ask us for data all the time. And I would literally use my old, I mean, I'm a trader. So I'd pick up the phone and I'd call the farmer and say, hey, guess what? Company ABC is looking to buy this data. They're willing to pay you two bucks an acre. If you want to do it, I'm happy to facilitate all this stuff. And I would like to share in the, in the revenue with you. So how can I bring you unsolicited offers to do this? We made several million dollars worth of data sales, I'll call it, or, or data transactions where the farmers got half of the revenue. And I only had two growers out of the, the two years that we did this ever say no. So it's one of these things where, where I knew there was a value there. And so that was the original one. But then we learned that a lot of the companies wanted to know planting information. So planting information became even probably a more desired data output than the harvest information. And when you think about it, if you're a, a crop protection company, you want to have an idea of when the growers might be susceptible to certain pressures, whether it be insects or disease or weeds. Like, you know, if you had a better play map of that, you might be able to position some product better. And so you might be able to, to make sure we can help farmers preserve yield through crop protection. And so that became a pretty interesting data set that people started to get excited about. And then just Growers being able to understand, and not just growers, but growers and ag retailers being able to understand the usage of their machines. You know, 30 to 40% of the, the time in these machines is idling. And so people look at that and they say, oh, no, that's not right. Okay, it happens every time. The initial value we get is really from machine logistics and just understanding how much time am I spending idling? How much time am I spending transporting? And so when, when growers start to see that for the first time, it really is eye-opening. And so 
I would say that, you know, for most of our customers in the first year, if we could save them five hours of idle time, they are in the black without having to use any of the other functionality of what we're able to do. But that's not going to be something that works for you year after year after year, right? You're going to get that to a place where you're comfortable and you're going to kind of set a benchmark and you're going to keep your eyes open for if anything goes over that. So it's incumbent upon us to provide additional value to them. And so the additional value comes into we're seeing more and more growers now experiment with different fields in the way that they're doing applications. And maybe if they're choosing to do fungicide in part of a field or not. And so there's a bunch of large scale farm trials. Like, you know, I I say every field is a research plot, but it's been difficult to collect all of the data on that research plot because there's so much going on. And so having something like what we've provided at Farm Mobile is just something that works in the background and is collecting it. And so I say it's like a Fitbit because I don't have to look at it every day, but I can go back and look at it and say, okay, on this day, I walked that many steps and I had this many active minutes. It's just a way for me to have it in the background when I need it, if I need it, right? And so that's how we look at the data here. And what that does is suddenly when the grower goes into that field and starts to harvest, they're like, whoa, something just happened here. I can see on my yield monitor, something's better here. What did I do there? And they can easily be able to go back and say, oh, okay, well, I put this application on and I, I noticed I did it on this half of the field, but I didn't on this half of the field. And so they're starting to, to put these things together. And so we assume that agronomy has all this stuff figured out, but truly, as the data gets better, we are going to really start to move the dial in ways that we haven't seen before. And we're really close to that happening. And then you get to combine this data with other data sets. So think about the imagery that we have out there and think about the soil data that we have out there. And the, the convergence of these data sets is really going to be something that, that I'm excited to be a part of. That's awesome. So with all of that, was all of that automatically data being taken from the machines themselves or was there other data that you were collecting as well? No, we were doing all of it from the machine. So everything we did originated on a machine. It was processed in the cloud and then it was served back up over our own visualization APIs to the grower. It took us about three seconds to do all of that. So, so it's about a three second turn time to come back. And then, so did the the revenue share model, did that stick or was it really like, hey, we're producing high quality data that they can use in their own operations and that's more of the the value prop? Yeah, so that is the value prop that will be recognized in the future. Today, everyone assumes that they're doing a pretty good job of things and we are missing a key layer when we first started doing this, which was the ag retail layer. So if you're hiring you know, a third party to come out and do crop protection application, or you're hiring a third party to do your fertility application for you, you had to figure out ways to get those data sets into the planting and harvest data as well to really get the complete picture. And so at that point, we shifted to, well, first, the buyers of the data, they bought a lot of data, but there wasn't truly a lot of data there. Most of the buyers would be like, okay, where's the rest of it? Like, this is great, but we need more, right? There's such a small sample size here. We can't train any algorithms unless we have much more of this data. So I'd say that our initial data set got gobbled up by a few players and they were hungry to have more. But our problem was farmers farm with a team, okay? And so if you can get a tacit endorsement from one of the people on their team, whether it be an insurance agent, a banker, a seed sales professional, an agronomist, any of those help you with your adoption. And so I would say that by being so transparent about what we were doing with the data, we were probably a little bit too early for people to fully comprehend what was possible. 
And so that really led us to a point where we started to get engaged by some of the corporations where they were saying, your product's great, but you know we don't like this data sales thing associated with it. So we see that as a conflict of interest for us. And so if we want to scale this thing, that's something that it's a hard no, it's a hard pass from us. And so then we started to adjust the business model to remove that component, but really focus on our ability to make the data that was being collected show up in our partner's systems so that they could make it more actionable on a quicker fashion. So an example of this is we will work with retailers where they'll have growers that have these devices on their harvester, and they will send that data to the ag retail location. So they'll use actual as harvested yield maps to write their fertility scripts. And they can turn around within 48 hours and start applying fertilizer on that field within 48 hours of it being harvested. Now, that doesn't seem like much, but what had happened and usually happens is this ag retailer has a bunch of spreaders waiting to go until the farmer's done with all of his fields and and they can collect the data on the thumb drives and then they can write the recs. And so our ability to extend that application window suddenly led to a lot of these ag retailers needing fewer machines and being able to provide better services. Because if that grower cut three fields today and they've still got 50 to go, they can start you know, doing applications. And it's called like, I call it digital harmony, but it's the way that the interaction of this stuff really, really, it, it's a one plus one equals five. Right. Paint that picture for us about where all this can go. You have so much enthusiasm for this, which, you know, would be one thing if it was like you just found out about the problem, right? Or if you just arrived on the scene, that it would be one thing to like have this enthusiasm because you don't know how hard all of it is. But you've got this 20 years of battle tested, like knowing how difficult this is on a day to day basis, but yet you're still so enthusiastic. So where where are you seeing the possibilities that make you say we're just an inning one here? What do the later innings look like? Yeah, so I think that we are getting to a point where, and this is going to be accelerated massively, I think, by the the climate smart commodity programs that are being floated around in Washington right now. And there's a lot of parallels I draw between healthcare and really agriculture. And so when you think about it, I think it was back in 2009, there was an act that was passed that was the High Tech Act, and it was like the Healthcare Modernization Act, where they basically provided some funding for hospitals to upgrade their systems and really move towards electronic medical records. And so that funding, it started off by being, you know, a chunk of money for you to upgrade your systems. And then over time, if you didn't, they started to restrict your ability to collect Medicaid and Medicare if you're not provided. So they had a carrot and a stick, right? And so that really transformed healthcare as we as we know it today. Now it's it's still a long ways from perfect, but that modernization act happened and I think we're starting to see the beginning of that happening in agriculture right now. And so we're starting to see these programs specifically in in, in the, the climate smart stuff. So we're talking about carbon today, but I call it all ESG initiatives are going to be a, a real tailwind to your ability to have a highly accurate set of quality data because that's where the validation pieces are going to come in. And so where it starts to get interesting to me is we're going to start to see farmers grow specific crops for a specific end user, right? Using specific methods and their ability to document those 
I believe, will translate into premiums that are higher if you can document everything than if you document nothing. And so those programs are exciting to me, and they're really exciting for AGI Digital because not only can we do the field-level data collection, but if that grain is then stored on the farm in one of the you know AGI brands of bins and we have bin manager in it, suddenly now we're able to tell this story with these two pretty unique data sets for validation purposes to be able to create additional value opportunities for growers. Right. And in some cases, that's going to be because whoever they're selling it to can you know unlock more value on, on their end. But in other cases, it may be uh, legislated, it sounds like. It may be legislated. I think that's going to be a, a, a stimulus for a lot of more people to start collecting high quality data. But I think what becomes super interesting to me is traditionally, you know, a, a farmer's revenue comes from yield times acres times price. Okay. And so there is always this incentive to maximize yield, which is ironic about that because as you know, from the commodity side, when everybody maximizes yield, price goes way down. But, but I think what we're seeing now is you've got companies that that have made pledges to be quote unquote carbon neutral, right? By 2025, 2030, you know, it seems like every public company is is starting to make these sorts of pledges. And I scratch my head when you're an airline and you're making that pledge. Like I understand it, okay? Or you're a transportation company. Like I understand the pledge, but I have no idea how you're going to get there. And so a lot of people believe that this is, you know, this untapped value in farmland is being able to create these changes in behavior that will facilitate a better planet and less carbon and all, all of these things that we talk about. And so I think there's going to be an interesting market dynamic play out between, and now again, a prerequisite to this is you have to have your data, right? You have to have your data. You have to have it in a way that's easy to move back and forth. But if you have that, you're going to have you know, airline over here that's saying, I want to buy that carbon credit. So I'm going to provide you another piece of revenue, knowing that it's going to probably negatively affect your yield. But so I have to offset your yield loss by this additional, let's say, credit or payment sitting out there. So that's one piece, one side of the market I see developing. And But then you have companies like the ABCDs who have the ability to promote those same types of changes, but use it as an inset because it's already, you know, in their value chain. It's already in their in their market space. And so I can see a future where these two things drive up the value of these specific commodities because they're going to compete for that credit. Now, one of the things we don't have in place yet is we need to be able to make sure that that if carbon credit gets sold over here, that that same field isn't participating in five other programs. So that's going to be from a system of record standpoint, we're going to need to figure that out from these programs. And that's something that can be done. And so when you look at the USDA and you look at their FSA program, or you look at the RMA, for example, so the insurance side there, right? And so reporting planting dates is something that today insurance agents generally show up on your farm. They generally have a, a three ring binder with maps on it. And they generally ask you what date. OK, so there's there's modernization that can happen from technology. And I don't think it will ever be the case that we mandate that technology. But you got to provide the right incentives to get that conversion to happen. And I see the beginnings of that happening with these climate smart commodity programs that are out there right now. So that's a long answer to things that get me pretty excited. But I don't think that's 10 years away. I think that's five years away. 
I mean, all of that is super fascinating. In your mind, where does AGI digital play a role in that? Is it the data provider or is it even more? Is it a, a, the facilitator of leveraging that data in a similar way that Farm Mobile was doing? I think basically what we started out at Farm Mobile as, you know, being able to quote unquote monetize data, it's really called a carbon credit today. The concept was early and it, it confused people and all that kind of stuff. The form of an ESG program is something that's more tangible for people to get their head around. And so we're really able to utilize a lot of our experience that we already had doing this one way and simply, you know, really shifting around some of the naming conventions because having every single data layer is going to get you a higher dollar credit in the future. And so we have to be able to work with ag retailers and we have to be able to bring in third party data where they're not using pucks. And we have to be able to bring in some of this other information to facilitate the collection of that. Now, my background's in, in the trading world. And so we've built the data engine, we call it. It's our processing engine. So we have, in the bins, we have sensors that are sending us data to the platform that we normalize and then we make available for presentation. And we do that with, with our pucks as well. But AGI has a lot of different equipment out there too. We have dryers on the farm. And so how do we collect that information from a dryer? A dryer uses generally propane, natural gas, some other kind of fuel, right, to dry down. So maybe part of the differentiation in the future is around can AGI Digital start to create some of these metrics around what is your GHG usage per bushel of that specific commodity? And we're really in a pretty unique position to, to be able to execute on some of these things due to the fact that we have a lot of penetration on the farm already with these pieces of equipment and how can we add technology to them to, again, provide that remote visibility. So that makes me feel good that something's watching it or remote control. So the ability to turn things on or off or automation. And those are kind of the steps that, that we're working through. And so one of our biggest challenges here is trying to figure out what product lines are really excited to get this this type of technology available for their customers next, because we have a, a lot of different product lines and we're in a lot of different geographies globally. And there's suddenly a lot of excitement around what we're able to do from a digital perspective. Yeah. And do you all provide a benchmark like that for those metrics today of like, hey, how am I doing in terms of GHGs? And if not, what needs to happen to make that a possibility? So if I'm a farmer and I just like, yeah, I'm collecting my data. And Jason said, that's the first step. You got to have my data sort of collected. And I'm curious, like, how am I doing? Like, if I were to start being able to monetize, you know, GHGs per bushel, how am I doing based on the industry? What does it take to get there? Well, we're still missing quite a few pieces in that. And so there's holes along the way that, but we can start with what we have. I think, you know, the types of decisions that will change in this are, a lot of times we're going really high dollar hybrids and stacks to be able to then add a little weight on at the end of the year from fungicide. But are we taking into account the drying costs that we may need at the end? And so from a pure ROI in that field perspective, are these extra bushels really worth it? These are things that we don't know today that we will know in the future. And so that's pretty exciting. And so just knowing from a farmer perspective, what is my P&L on that field? Because today, while everybody talks about it, it's really something that is still pretty elusive. 
and, and if we look at the building blocks, we need to make that happen. These all add into what we need for that GHG score that I'm talking about. So what was your fertility program? Did you do tillage? What type of tillage did you do? Did you take into consideration you know, the fuel usage on your tillage passes and the effects from releasing carbon on those tillage passes? And so there's a bunch of these different pieces that need to be accounted for before we can get to that, that score. So we're going to have to provide the right incentives for growers to be able to collect those. So as we get better at, at creating more real-time data and we're able to, to facilitate this stuff, I think we're going to need to get better information. And ultimately, if we can have a better consistent information flow to the markets, we are going to reduce our volatility. And then things like hedging make sense again, because right now it's really difficult to use any sort of traditional risk management practice and feel even like it's not a complete speculation. What do you tell farmers that ask you like, hey, how should I approach these carbon programs that seem to be popping up everywhere? Yeah, that's a great question. So you got to collect the data first. It's like a broken record and and think of the data that you're collecting. And it doesn't matter. Look, I think I'm biased and I'm going to tell you that I think we have a really strong device and I think we're the easiest to use. and I think we have the highest quality data. But believe it or not, there's a few other people out there that collect data and, and it's okay. So collect your data first, make sure you have good quality data, and then think of it as an appreciating asset. You might not use it for two or three years, but having the the historical collection of that data, many of these programs require at least three years of history before you can, can really take advantage of them. And so I would say, collect your data, make sure that you have some flexibility here on, on where to go with it. Okay, so if in order for you to participate in my program, you have to use this and you have to use, you know, this stuff. Most technology companies in agriculture today are not built to get data out of their systems. They're built to suck data into their systems. Okay, and so that's a really, really important piece. And the data that oftentimes come out through APIs is not the same data that you could collect on the thumb drive. So we have to be cognizant of having a high quality data set, collecting it and making it as complete as we can. And over time, you're going to be able to participate in whatever program you want. And so I think we're early innings of this again. And I think the temptation is to hop on some of these. But so far, the most of the carbon programs I've seen so far are more marketing than true carbon programs. And so I, I think we'll get those more defined in the pretty near future. Man, Jason, I think we can go for a three-hour episode here easily, uh, but uh, I do want to be mindful of your time. But anything you want to add in here to round out this episode or something you want to emphasize to sort of land the plane here? I do. So I would say that just like everybody else, we are looking for a bunch of people. And so all over the board, we have open slots in just about everything. And what I'm really excited about is we were able to basically merge three companies together and we're trying to hire another 60 people. So normally that doesn't happen. And so I'm really excited about this opportunity. And what we're learning is we're attracting a lot of people because we still feel like a startup, but they're not worried about my ability to go out and raise capital to keep the lights on anymore. And we're not a you know 150-year-old company that has a lot of bureaucracy where it's hard to be autonomous. And so we're, we're really attracting a lot of talent from both those sides. And everybody wants to know more about our food. No one is you know, thinking, wow, if I only knew less about where my food came from. And the great part is, is that we have really good stories to tell in agriculture. We get a black eye too much because we don't have the loudest voice in the room, but we have really good stories to tell. And all of this data that we're collecting help us get better at telling that story. 
And as we tell that story, we're able to create differentiated opportunities in the marketing side of things. And so I'm saying that this is a great place to work right now. We have a, a really great foundation of technologists and we have access to, to some really interesting global markets that we're going to be able to execute on over the next, you know, I'm going to say five to 10 years. And so I love what we do. If anybody listened to this and was excited about it, I would love to talk to them because we learn from our people. I've been super blessed by being able to work with a ton of, of technologists over the last 25 years. And a lot of them I'll hire more than one time. So I think that's a testament to us where, where we work together for a while. And I love encouraging people to take that entrepreneurial you know, bent. I try to educate my people as much as I can on teaching them how to do this. And a lot of times they'll go out and start other companies. And sometimes they work out and I get together for a beer with them and we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. And sometimes they don't work out and they come back and we get back to work. And so I think that's the type of environment that we're creating here. And it's something that I'm super proud of and I've been super lucky to be able to really execute on. Well, huge thank you to Jason Taji for taking the time to be on the show today. Certainly a wealth of knowledge he has on all things ag tech and a fascinating guy to be able to pick his brain on this type of stuff. So you can learn more about what he's doing over at farmmobile.com or aggrowth.com. I'll, of course, link to both of those in the show notes. I think he's also pretty active on LinkedIn, so you might be able to find him there as well. Uh, thank you to all of you who continue to not only listen to the show, but to share it with friends and on social media. It really does make a big difference. And thanks, of course, to those of you who continue to rate and review the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Had one recently here from MT Caps, who said, go to for all things ag and ag tech, a fantastic source of inspiration and information, future looking and grounded at the same time. Tim is so knowledgeable and excellent at drawing out his amazing roster of guests. This is a weekly must to stay current. Very, very nice. And I read that not just because of the compliment to me. Uh, I don't know if I can live up to those expectations, but really do just appreciate these ratings and reviews. So if you haven't taken a minute or less, really, to leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple or both, I'd sure appreciate it. My uh, personal social media activity really has been at an all-time low here lately, so the more you can do to help spread the word, uh, the better, and I am eternally grateful. Uh, thanks so much for your time and your attention. As always, I never take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Ag innovation.